So good, so good to be with you this morning. I just feel like I've been out of the loop for a while. Uh, month of March kind of seems like a blur. But man, I'm so glad to be with you uh, this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about loving God, specifically this morning, objectively. Loving God based upon objective truth. This, we will do two parts this week and next week in relation to the greatest commandment. Loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But this week we're going to focus on loving God objectively. And if I could give a working definition for that, I would like to define loving God objectively by loving God or approaching God based upon the value that Scripture gives God in spite of how we feel about God. Loving God based upon the value that Scripture places upon God versus the value that we may place upon God versus how we may feel about God at the moment. Dr. Richard Selzer writes the following. <clears throat> I stand by the bed where a young woman lays, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in a palsy, clownish way. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut that little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they? I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made, who are they that gaze at and touch each other so generously and so greedily? The young woman speaks, will my mouth always be like this? She asks, yes, I say it will. It's because I had to cut that little nerve. She nods and is silent, but the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I understand, and I lower my gaze. And unmindful of me, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I'm so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. It's been said throughout the ages that love is a costly thing. You know, when Jesus talked about what it meant to be a disciple and that that demanded carrying a cross, that was really his way of saying love is a costly thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote the Christian classic, The Cost of Discipleship, which was his extensive Exposition of the Sermon on the Mount primarily. And it really was an exhaustive way of simply saying love is a very costly thing. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Four Loves, the following. He states, to love at all 
is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Because to love is to be vulnerable. It was Lewis's way of saying love is a costly thing. But what I want you to do is I want you to pay attention to the silhouette that Dr. Selzer has established before us. I want you to pay attention to this young man as he bends down and he is intent and determined to kiss his wife's newly formed crooked mouth. And when we gaze at that view, it really doesn't seem like it's a cost at all, does it? It really seems like it's simply a response to the object of his affection. As we gaze at that picture, it really seems as if he is simply conforming to the object of his desire. That's what love does. It bends to the object of its affection. So just maybe this idea of love being a costly thing, just maybe that really hinges upon the perspective of the one who's in love. Just maybe when Jesus talked about the cost involved in following him, maybe that really was only perceived as a cost or seemed like a cost to the unbelievers and to the skeptics. Maybe for those who had truly been touched by the grace that accompanies the gospel that takes dead men and brings them back to life, maybe for them it really wasn't a cost at all, but instead the bargain of a lifetime. We so easily, we so quickly have a tendency to forget. So many things aid in our forgetfulness, our sinfulness, apathy in general, those vague moments when we're consumed with relativism and we're trying to define or come to our own conclusions of what truth really is. But nonetheless, we so easily and quickly forget that a cost Involves receiving a reward, and it's not only about giving up something. A cost involves receiving a reward and not just the giving up of something. That's what we want to try to embed in our minds this morning as we turn to Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 22. Verses 34 through 40. As we look at the greatest commandment. Starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, I want to ask you to look at Mark 12 verses 28 through 31 with me. 
Mark 12, 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them well. He asked him, the scribe asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you this morning, Lord. And God, as we consider the idea of approaching you and loving you, based upon the value that Scripture has given you, regardless of how we feel, we take a couple of things into consideration. Take into consideration, God, our sinfulness. And we know that, Father, even in the midst of our sin, in the midst of, of our efforts, in the midst of our pursuits, God, we know that even then, it hinges upon your power in us. We are only cooperating with the work, God, that you've already done through our salvation. We cooperate only with the work that you're currently doing in our sanctification. And so even as we talk this morning about our efforts, our efforts are dependent upon what you do and what you have done. Our efforts even link back to the reality of our redemption is seen on the cross. Our efforts have their foundation and their hope in the center of the gospel message that when we were yet sinners, you, Christ, died for us. Our efforts, our lost efforts, without your involvement, your activity, your oversight, your initiative, so we speak about our efforts this morning with much caution and much awareness that our efforts are only the result, God, of you working in us. Help us to keep that clarity before us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning. Next week we're going to talk about loving God subjectively. And so when we talk about loving God subjectively, that's the point that we're talking about loving God with our emotions. Loving God through our experiences. Loving God with our sentiment. We need that. Look, I need to experience and have experiences with my wife. If I don't have experiences with my wife, if we're not exchanging emotions with each other, there is something tragically lacking in our marriage. If we are not having experiences with God, if we are not sharing emotions with God, there is something tragically lacking in this thing called Christianity. <clears throat> but today, we're going to talk about the objective truth of the Great Commandment. And I want to pull out a couple of principles. The first one's going to be this. I would ask you to try to lean into these. 
The first principle that we're going to look at is the battle between biblical truth and human sentiment. The battle between biblical truth and human sentiment. We've got to know that's where the battleground lies for us, specifically in this passage. The second principle, we're going to talk about the beauty of the reward that supersedes the cost. The beauty of the reward that supersedes the cost. I'm not going to try to compartmentalize these faculties. Uh, Mind, heart, soul, and strength. I'm not going to try to do that, but I am going to establish two groups. The objective, which is what we're going to talk about this morning, and the subjective, which we're going to talk about next week. Because the reality is we should be being engaged with both. We should be being motivated by both. So let's look at the battle between biblical truth and human sentiment, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I want to bring clarity one more time as we talk about objective truth superseding human emotion. I want to assure you that objective truth is designed to govern our lives. Understand that. Objective truth is designed to govern our lives, but it's not designed to just govern our lives. The chief end of biblical truth isn't to just govern our lives. The chief end of biblical truth or objective truth is designed to lead us to experiences with God. It's not designed for anything less than governing us, but its chief end is so much more than just governing us. Its chief end is to lead us to experiences with God, to lead us to an exchanging of emotions with God. And if we are not experiencing God, then objective truth has not yet fulfilled its ultimate purpose. We're not going to highlight that today, but I want to settle that from the outset. And I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind as we kind of talk about our efforts today. Otherwise, we leave out of this place with a very stoic mindset, singing Press On Weary Program, and none of us benefit from that. I want you to remember what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is quoting the Shema, or the Shema, which is pulled from Deuteronomy 6, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that Jesus, in, the, in Matthew's account, <clears throat> he substitutes the word strength for the word mind. Now, I want to assure you that Jesus is in no way misquoting the Shema. As a matter of fact, if anything, the Savior is reiterating the need for there to be strength. But what he's doing is he is highlighting where that, where that need has to lie. That's why he is placing an emphasis on the mind. Listen, beloved, if we need anything to live out this thing called Christianity, we need strength of mind. We need strength of mind to continue to reorient us to the value of Christ as we function day to day. We need strength of mind to continue to remind us of the supremacy of Christ. 
We need strength of mind to continue to confront us with the lordship of Christ. And we need supremacy or we need strength of mind in order to yield our lives to those realities about God. We need strength of mind to continue to remind us that a cost involves the receiving of a reward and not just the giving up of something. And so when Jesus in the passage of Matthew and in the passage of Mark, as he talks about engaging with our mind, he is talking about the use, the full use, the whole use of our intellectual determination. Now what he's not saying is that we all are called to be, we are all equipped, gifted to be, we are all capable of being on the same intellectual tier. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that we are all called to fully engage with every ounce of intellectual energy that we have. We are called to engage and establish the value of Christ Use all of our intellectual energies to establish the true value of Christ and then to take that value and hang that value as a banner over our lives. We're to use all of our mental strength in order that we would yield our lives to Christ. Now listen, based upon the value that Scripture has placed upon Christ, whether we feel that or not, that, beloved, is the battlefield that we engage with Regarding the mind. And it's the battle of being governed by objective truth that says Christ is worth more than your own preferences, your own life, your own desires. That's our battle to be governed by objective truth rather than human sentiment. And I don't know about you, but that idea alone, the idea of being governed by someone else, even though I know that someone else is God, Sometimes that just doesn't always set well with me. So when I look at this passage of Scripture, I'm simply reminded of a heart condition that I have that causes my preference to come to surface. And my preference is I don't want anyone else governing my life outside of me. Because as a disciple of Christ who's been a follower of the Savior for many years, it is yet to be embedded in my heart and in my mind that a cost consists of receiving a reward and not only something that I have to give up. When Jesus talks about strength, he's not talking about mere physical strength. We're focusing on mind and strength only today. Jesus isn't talking about mere physical strength. Now, we need to stop and we need, we need to praise God for that for a moment. Maybe what we need to do is have Jason come up and lead us in a worship song. We need to praise God that rewards and losses aren't hinging on physical strength, especially after Wednesday night. <clears throat> especially after this past Wednesday night when we, most of us as a church, we went into the community of Stanford Acres because there was a wager going on in the church between Brian and Chandler that Brian could swing all the way across the monkey bars. Okay? So we go to we go into the community of Stanford Acres to settle to settle that bet. Okay? And what ends up happening is all of us end up at least making an attempt to go across the monkey bars. I think that Emma did better than by far than any of us as she zipped across those monkey bars. And you know what? So we make it across the monkey bars, and I'm feeling pretty good that night. The next morning, I couldn't even lift my shoulder up, man. My shoulder, my shoulder's still jacked up, okay? 
Thank God that he's not talking about rewards and losses based upon physical strength. It's not what he's referring to at all. As he's talking about strength, that original word, and when I talk about the original word, I'm talking about the original Hebrew word that Moses used when he said it. It means to passionately, to exceedingly bring everything that you have, everything that you are, to the table of Christian commitment. That word strength, it derives from another word that defines a tool that is used in keeping a fire stoked or keeping a fire burning. So when we talk about bringing strength to the table of Christianity, beloved, we're not talking about strength based upon the size of our biceps. We're not talking about strength that can get us from one end of the monkey bars to the other. When we talk about strength, bringing our strength to the table of Christianity, we're talking about the size of our determination to take the value of Christ that the Word of God has established and keep that exalted, keep the fire burning of the value of Christ in our lives, keeping the Word at work in our lives, keeping the work of the ministry moving forward in our lives, in our homes, in our church, and in our world. And when Jesus talks about this commitment of mind, this commitment of strength, I want to assure you, beloved, it is all-consuming, and He wants all of your mind, all of your strength. If we don't wrestle with this concept, if we don't make peace with this, If we don't get it in our hearts, in our minds, that a cost involves a reward and not simply the giving up of something. When Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God, if we don't make peace with this idea, that shall, listen, it's a burdensome shall. It's a heavy yoke. It's not an easy light yoke. If I haven't made peace with the fact that the reward outweighs the cost. Do you lawfully take Angela to be how's it go? Do you take Angela? <laughs> do you take Angela to be your lawfully wedded wife? That's the phrase, right? Oh, look, we went to Virginia and eloped. I don't know the terminology. <laughs> do you do you take Angela to be your lawfully wedded wife? Yes, I do. What's that mean? Well, that means that I do without certain things so that she can have certain things, right? That means. I deny myself this in order that she can have that. I deny myself certain rights so that she can be a certain person. I mean, that's that's how marriage works, right? Now, if the sacrifices that I make or the cost that's necessarily imposed in the marriage union, if the sacrifices I make in marriage, if they're based on something other than me viewing her as a treasure... If they're based on something other than me establishing that the banner that hangs over our marriage needs to be flashing in neon lights, Angela, if I, if I have not come to the conclusion that the banner that hangs over our marriage needs to highlight and reiterate her is more important than me, then guys, the sacrifices I make, they're not going to be sacrifices for very long because I will not see her as more of a value than the cost that is imposed upon me necessarily in the union of marriage. I have talked to our daughters extensively and tried my best to inform them of the danger that comes 
from dating before their time. And listen, the time's going to come. I know that. The time's just not yet. Now, my philosophy in this whole idea is simply this. If you bring a young man into the picture before it's your time, what that does in a sense is it creates an atmosphere of competition because it's going to project that this young man and God, they're now in competition for your affections. Okay. Now, when I look back historically through experience, what I've realized is that when a young woman brings a young man into her life before it's time, and that competition exists, usually it's the young man that wins. Reflect back on your young dating experiences, and you're only going to validate that, because if, if, if nothing less or nothing more, you were given emotionally. My daughters are no exception to that rule, okay? So they are going to begin to be governed by their emotions. But not only that, you know what? They're going to like it. They're going to like being governed by their emotions. And I get that in principle because you know what? There are sometimes I like being governed by my emotions. There are sometimes I thoroughly enjoy being governed by my emotions. There are sometimes, as I'm living out this thing called the Christian life, I prefer to be governed by my emotions. And it's only by the grace that God gives at the moment that I can stand here and say sometimes. Otherwise, if it were not for the grace of God, I probably would have to say all of the time that's my preference. Listen, there are times I will be in the arena of argument with my wife, and it's probably an argument I've started, dear. I will be in the arena of argument with my wife. I'm walking away. My mouth is... I'm, I know that I need to just shut my mouth. I'm hearing that voice say, Moon, shut up. I'm clamping down on my mouth so hard that I'm biting my tongue so hard I can feel blood floating around in my mouth. I'm almost out the door, and then something happens. You know what? I have, I have to respond to my emotions. I step back into that arena of argument, and I let it fly. You know what? Not only did I let it fly... I liked it. It felt good. It felt good to vindicate myself. It felt good to get that off of my chest. It felt good to set things right and let her know, hey, I wasn't the one that was wrong. You were. But I can also easily pinpoint when those times happen the most. You know when they are? They are when I have been loveless toward Savior. That's when they are. It's those times when I have a perverted view of the cost of following Him at the moment. It's those times when I have viewed the cost as something that I have to give up. And I don't want to give that up right now. I want vindication. I want to justify my stance. I want to let my opinion be known. And I've had so much more of a less view of what it is that I could have gained at that moment. And you know exactly what it is that fought my view, don't you? The thing that fought my view was my love for me. 
If there is something that fogs the view of this greatest command to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I want to assure you that it will be clouded the most because of me being in love with me. As a matter of fact, if I were to reflect back on the last time that my wife and I had a serious argument, I can assure you that the core reason for that argument was because at that moment in time, I wanted the moment to be about me. She wanted the moment to be about something else other than me, perhaps herself, perhaps us, and I didn't like that because I wanted it to be about me, because life's all about me, because life revolves around me. And you know what? I think if you were to think really long and hard about the last time that you lost your temper or the last time that you became very angry or upset, I would say there's a very, very good chance that it was because at that moment in time, you wanted life to revolve around you. And something interfered with or stepped into the way of life revolving around you and you didn't like it and because you didn't like it you became you became angry <clears throat> we need ongoing grace to remind us that a cost involves the receiving of a reward and not just the giving up of something because our tendency is to lean strongly in the direction this is going to cost me greatly but we hardly think of what it is that we gain from the cost, which leads us to our second principle, the beauty of the reward that supersedes excuse me, the cost. The beauty of the reward that supersedes the cost. Let's just read verse 30 again. <clears throat> and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. When I worked in the natural gas industry, I had an immediate boss, great guy, great, great guy, who's bald. He had the halo hairline, top of his head, slick as a baby's bottom, and every opportunity we had, we poked fun at him. Holidays come, tie the bow around the tube of Rogaine, set it on his desk, and we did that until we realized, you know what, he just doesn't care. He's made complete peace with the fact that he's bald. As a matter of fact, what he said was, listen, there are so many things in this world that are so much more important than a head of hair. Great point. Amen. Great point. <laughs> he didn't place much of a value on having a head of hair. Now, having said that, had another friend who had much value placed much value on having a head of hair. I saw him one day, had the same halo hairline, top of his head just, just as slick as the same baby's bottom. I saw him the next day and he had flowing locks of hair. And so we're engaged in conversation and my response is, you paid $40,000 for a head of hair? And do you know what he would say to me? It's the best $40,000 I've ever spent in my life. Why? Because the reward that he gained so much more outweighed the cost of what he had to give up. Okay? Listen, what happens at this point 
when we pay attention to the value that's established by Scripture, this word that Jesus used, you shall love the Lord your God, that word begins to transition. It's no longer a potential or a possible burden. It now becomes the opportunity of a lifetime in light of what it is that I now gain. I gain peace with God. I gain a clear conscience before God because it's been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. I gain experience with God. I gain an exchange of emotions between me and God. And I gain the greatest treasure of all fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ, of which Paul said, I count all things as loss in comparison to knowing him. But I want you to know I have to say this out of obligation coupled with the utmost of love, beloved. When Jesus calls us to engage fully our minds, when Jesus calls us to engage fully our strength, He's calling us to do that whether we have a recognition of the game or not. He's calling us to that whether we feel it or not. He's calling it to us, calling us to that whether we agree with him or not. He's calling us to that whether it's defining us at the moment or not. He's calling us to that regardless of how we feel. We do not submit to Christ out of the hopes of gaining an experience. We allow objective truth to establish the value of Christ and know that that is worthy of our submission that He demands. Listen, beloved, there is a vast measure of grace that accompanies objective truth. I pray that you note, and I pray that you do that. When Jesus calls us, though, to engage all of our minds, when Jesus calls us to engage with all of our strength, it is a call to respond to God regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we know, regardless of what we agree with. Now, Jesus is in no way suggesting that mind and strength are without emotion, but in the context of this greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, this is a call to respond to God, and it's a base, it's it's a call to love God based upon a will to love God, even if we don't feel it at the time. It's a call to love God based upon determined action. It's a call to love and respond to God based upon premeditated dedication. It's a call to respond to God based upon commitment, self-sacrifice, as opposed to responding to God, loving God, approaching God based upon emotion, affection, habit, practice, religion, or anything else. And I pray that we see the grace that accompanies objective truth, but beloved, we bear the responsibility to respond to objective truth regardless of whether or not we see the grace or experience the grace or not. And the reason that, that is so relevant, yeah, we're talking about the greatest commandment of loving God, but the reality is that idea of responding to objective truth regardless of how we feel, that defines all of Christianity. It's not just this one issue. Christianity is not a progression of thoughts that God has put in place that consists of me accepting them, 
me embracing them and I accept and embrace them as I make sense of them. That's not what makes Christianity Christianity. What makes Christianity Christianity is the fact that its perfection exists apart from me. Its perfection exists apart from my thoughts. The perfection of Christianity exists apart from my feelings, apart from my practices, apart from my religion. Listen, I adhere to the perfection of Christianity whether I feel like it or not. <clears throat> That's what God's calling me to. Who's calling you to? Recently met with a young man who's come to the conclusion that he no longer wants to be married to his wife, okay? And out of nobility, he feels that it's best that for, for him, for his wife, and for their children, that he divorce her, okay? Met with a young man recently who has been addicted to drugs. Met with a young man recently who's been addicted to pornography, and you know the ripple effects that come with those things. And I think it's important in those moments to be able to sit down and to be able to give some type of practical counsel. But I never allow a moment like that to end without reiterating the reality of the responsibility. Listen, husband. You bear the responsibility to initiate love with your wife. You bear that responsibility. But I don't feel like I love her. Well, regardless of how you feel, your feelings are so irrelevant to the reality of your responsibility to initiate love with your wife. I don't, I don't feel that I can quit drugs. I can't quit drugs. Your inability to stop drug use is irrelevant to your responsibility to stop drug use. You bear the responsibility to stop and you bear the responsibility to stop now. I can't, but you bear the responsibility to do so regardless. You have to. You must be born again. The Word of God says you must be born again. I don't have the desire to be born again. Of course you don't have the desire to be born again because you're dead in your sin and you need something supernatural to happen to raise you from a dead state. But knowing that, and in spite of that, you need to know that you bear the responsibility to be born again. Submit to your husband. Submit to your parents. Well, I don't want to submit because I don't trust their leadership. That's irrelevant to the reality of the responsibility that you bear to do what the Word of God says because objective truth has placed full value on the person of Christ and we submit to that because truth says that we must. John Piper said, God is. <clears throat> we deal with it or not. God defines reality. We don't. God decides what you're like. You don't decide what you're like. We don't have that luxury. Objective truth doesn't allow it. That's why subjective experience is always subordinate to and undermined by objective truth. In other words, how I feel is always trumped by what God's Word says. Thornton Wilder said to his wife the following 
He said, I didn't marry you because you were perfect. I didn't even marry you because I loved you. I married you because you gave me a promise. That promise made up for your faults. And the promise I gave you made up for my faults. Two imperfect people got married and it was the promise that made the marriage. And when our children were growing up, it wasn't a house that protected them. It wasn't even our love that protected them. It was that promise of till death do us part. It's irrelevant how I feel. What is relevant is the reality of the truth that says this is the value of Christ. I respond to that because of what the Word of God says, not based on how I feel. Listen, if you're here and you're not born again, you must be born again. If you are here and you're apathetic in your religion, you must repent of your sins. Because it will only be through a redeemed mind and renewed strength that we are able to respond to this thing that Jesus is talking about. Only a disciple, a disciple who has subjected to the authority, the objective truth of the Word of God, only that person is capable of worshiping and exalting Christ over worshiping and exalting how they feel. Otherwise, we figuratively lower the standard of Christianity. We bring it down to our level. We become happy with it, make the necessary changes, and we go about our way rather than allowing it to, allowing it to grab us by the shirt collar and shake us into the reality of Christian purpose and functioning rightly in this thing called Christianity. Because I want to assure you of this. Love that is defined by the world and love that is defined by the Savior are completely two different things. Ravi Zachariah told the story of his brother, and his brother had the preference of going back to the old-fashioned way that they used to do marriage in India, which meant... <clears throat> He called on his parents to pick his wife. Okay, now, Robbie Zachariah was a little taken aback by that because they had lived in Canada for a, very, for a while and they had become very accustomed to the Western way of picking your own wife. So he challenges his brother. He says, no, wait a minute. What are you going to do if they pick a wife for you and you don't love her? What happens then? This is his response brother looked at him and he said, write this down. Don't ever forget it. Good counsel before I even say it. Don't ever forget it. <clears throat> write this down and don't ever forget it. Love is as much a question of the will as it is of the emotion. And if you will to love someone, you can. I have already willed that I will love her. Listen, beloved. God would say to us today, regardless of how we feel, and please note, feelings are so relevant. They're so real. They're so important. We're going to talk, hopefully, extensively about that next week. But they aren't the determining factor in our responses to God. They're just not. But let me tell you how objective truth is coupled with grace and how that really works. 
in closing. <clears throat> I have been born again for about two weeks, and I worked in, as I said earlier, the natural gas industry. You know, when you're newly born again, you struggle with your salvation. Did it really happen? You know, I think the enemy kind of bombards you with past thoughts and past practices, and you're seeing sin, and you're saying, man, there's no way that this thing could have happened. There's no way it's real. I'm too bad of a person. You go through those feelings and emotions and thoughts. Two weeks, I'm sitting in a diesel truck. I have a drilling rig next to me, and it's drilling about 4,000 feet into the earth. Diesel, about six, eight diesel engines running, keeping it going. My truck's running because it's falling. It's a little chilly, so I've got this noise blasting in my ears, and I'm just crying out to God saying, God, I just don't... I just don't know what's, what's going on. I don't know if this is real. And I read John 15, 16. Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. I didn't have a theological framework to put that in, so it wasn't a light bulb of, of a reformed way of thinking by any means. I was just confronted as a sinner looking for truth. I was confronted with the reality that God did something. And in that moment, two weeks after salvation my spiritual senses were awakened to Christ. I experienced Him. I heard Him through His Word. It was as if I was able to touch something tangible and be healed from it, just like the one with the issue of blood. It was like I was able to taste and see that God really was good. And it wasn't based on how I felt because if I was functioning on how I felt, I would have had to have came to the conclusion, this isn't real, I'm not worthy, I'm miserable, I need to just cease this, this pursuit of the thing called the Christian life. It was based upon a standard that had been established. And it may seem elementary to you, but it's one of those things I'll remember. When I'm on my deathbed and I'm preparing to meet the Savior, I'll reflect on that moment and it will aid me to that next step. Because at that moment in time, I was awakened to the reality and objective truth established. It determined what I experienced. My experience didn't determine how I dealt with Christ or responded to Christ. There is grace, such grace, that is coupled with objective truth. I pray you see it. I pray you get it. I pray you lay hold of it. But beloved, we leave out of here with the responsibility... To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, whether we feel it or not. Why? Because the Word of God has established Him of that much value. That's right. Sorry. <clears throat> you know, guys, I just would want to ask you. Evaluate your heart. Well, back up. Evaluate your mind. Evaluate your strength. Evaluate where you've placed your energies. Jesus said something like, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay? Good indicator of where my time has been, of what my hands have been to, where my feet have taken me, where my mind dwells. Good indication of that really is what have, what, what have I been treasuring here? What's been dominating my life, my thoughts, my time? 
I think today is just a time to simply reflect. If repentance is necessary, beloved, repent. Confession is needed, confess. If it's a if it's a matter of just worshiping the Lord, then worship the Lord. That anyway. But I would want to invite you to respond to the value that the Word of God places on Himself through Christ. I want to ask you to just stay there, rest there, camp there. Jason played, I'll ask you to just stay seated, stay in worship, and know this. God is not far away. God is with us, and God's desire is to experience Him through the truth of His Word. That's what I'm going to like to do.